The new song this morning just got me. I'm just going to tell you. Um, singing those words all of my life that he's been faithful. Uh, can I just admit that there are sometimes in our lives in the moment he doesn't feel faithful? There are moments that he just doesn't feel faithful. And that's where we have to understand truth from feelings. Because when I look back in the rearview mirror of life, I really see a lot of the footprints of God in places where I thought God was completely absent. And I hope that encourages somebody this morning that maybe you're struggling with just feeling like God is faithful or, if that, or that he's near. I'm hoping this morning is just proof to you that he loves you and he's here for you. And I'm glad that you've shown up here. My name is Dave Berenger. I'm the pastor of K First. And I just, I, I am so excited that you've joined us for our, our teaching series. We're not necessarily in a preaching series. We're in a teaching series called Three-ish. This has been a series that has been probably two, three, four years. Maybe we should say three years in the making just to go along with the theme. Uh, but it could be a lie. I don't know. But we'll just say it's three. Um, preachers, we can tend to stretch things a little bit. So uh, it's been a few years in the making. And uh, what has really blessed my heart is over the past week, numbers of messages from people that uh, just were just not, not just touched by understanding the Trinity, but the reality that you and I are the imago Dei, we are made in the image of God. That's what that word means. And maybe even more understandably that the people that we encounter that may not be serving Jesus, they may not know Jesus, they may hate Jesus, but it doesn't mean they are made any less in the image of God than you or I. And watching people get that revelation and how we treat one another. Because sometimes like, well, I've treated these people well because they're Christians. And that boggles my mind that we should treat everybody we meet as people made in the image of the Father. That is huge. So um, get your Bibles ready. I... Um, I don't have as many slides. I, I broke my record last week with 60 slides. That's why I bought the tech team uh, donuts uh, before the service. They got sweet waters. And uh, because our camera broke and then the, other, the new camera didn't show up, we are back live on live stream. So I, I will tell you this, the tech team, the media teams, sometimes it can be such a thankless job because until something goes wrong, we're like, oh, wait a minute, who's responsible? And then we take for granted who does the slides, who puts up the slides, who runs the stuff. Can we give it up for our tech team? this morning. Oh, my word. Um, I, I, am, I am an avid climber. I am not the greatest climber in the world. Um, uh, well, wait, most of you don't see me. I'm the best climber in the world. Um, I enjoy it so much, and it's just, it's a great outlet for me. In fact, uh, like I traveled to East Lansing, uh, I traveled to this unholy part of Michigan, East Lansing. Um, sorry, go blue. Um, but I went to East Lansing to, to go do some sessions on, um, on church revitalization and to help give some uh, congregations some hope and learning how to restructure church. And anytime I travel, I immediately look, is there a climbing gym within the vicinity? Because if I get out early enough, maybe I can climb a little bit. It's just always on my brain. Um, and, but it's been a great outlet for me. But in climbing, there's really uh, two types of climbing. There's something called static climbing and dynamic climbing. And um, static is a simple way of saying steady, smooth, reachable objects. Dynamic means you have to do something dynamic. You usually have to leave your feet and to reach something that you cannot reach. I find myself climbing with numbers of people most of which are taller than me. 
like when I climb a Colin Seamus, he's like six foot 20. And so when we're climbing, like we'll be climbing on the same route because I think our skill level is, is somewhere in the vicinity. And because he's so tall, um, he's like, just reach that one. And so like, I, I'm like trying to do go-go gadget arms. Some of you do not know that reference. If you don't know Inspector Gadget, you were deprived as a child. I'm not talking about the new movies that totally messed up Inspector Gadget. I'm going to get off on tangents right now, and that never happens to me. But when I climb with Colin, he's like, just, this is what I do. I just reach this, and I'm like, do you realize that I have hobbit arms? And so therefore, I have to make my way there, or specifically what, what he does in static is a simple reach. I might have to do dynamic. And so what seems reachable for one it's not necessarily reachable for others. And sometimes you have to take a little bit of a leap to grasp something. And so I thought, when I thought about the Trinity, that I actually wrote the title of this, this is the very first title of a message I wrote down when I was preparing months ago, Dynamic, Not Static. Because there are some things about God that are just easier to understand. But when it comes to the Trinity, it is more of a dynamic. It's going to take a little bit of a leap of faith. I was listening to some podcasts about the Trinity, and one guy was kind of, kind of beaten up on Protestants a little bit. He's like, you guys just throw too much mystery at the Trinity. And I'm like, well, because we can't figure out all that's God. Because if God could be 100% figured out, I think he would actually cease to be God. And so when it comes to understanding God and the Trinity, I'm going to ask that some, some of this you may not fully grasp or understand, but it's going to take maybe a dynamic act of faith to simply trust God and ask him to reveal more than I can explain. Because in four weeks, I cannot do the Trinity justice. And, and some of our closing points today, one of my challenges today is for you to incorporate the Trinity into your spiritual disciplines in your life. We're going to get way ahead of ourselves. Uh, last week, we introduced the doctrine of the Trinity, which simply is this. One God existing eternally in three distinct persons, and all three are equally and simultaneously God. If you missed last week, I'm telling you, you need to listen to last week. Just because the plethora, uh, you know what a plethora is? Uh, I got that word from that great gospel movie, The Three Amigos. Love The Three Amigos. Um, great gospel movie. This, I got saved watching it. It's wonderful. Um, there is a plethora of scriptures that we use all throughout um, the entire message to help understand how the Trinity is laid out on how even individually the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are recognized as God in scripture. And so last week we introduced that word Trinity and, and to understand also the word Trinity is actually man-made because you don't find that Bible, uh, find that in your Bible, just like you don't find the word Bible in the word Bible. Uh, there's numbers of words that have become man-made because they were used to describe biblical concepts or our way as humanity to describe what has taken place. And the Trinity is just like that. It is content, condensing down biblical truth in a small space of time. In fact, it was a man by the name of Tertullian that in 2000 AD that helped come up with the Latin word Trinitas, which we get the word Trinity. And later on in church history, it was confirmed that this was a good articulation of the Godhead, and it was ratified by the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Some of you are bored with history, but I think history is sexy, it's wonderful, and everybody should love history. It's the best. Um, thank God, one person agreeing. Hallelujah. 
And so it was confirmed um, in two different councils. And from the councils came the creeds that many of us, we sing songs about the creeds. Uh, we, we sometimes can quote the Nicene Creed and they're very important parts of our church history. And the question has always come up, well, why didn't they formalize the creeds and the doctrines of the Trinity Right when Jesus ascended, it's because for the first 200 years after Jesus ascended, Rome, Rome made Christianity illegal, and so they were hunting the Christians down. And so they had bigger things on their hands, like not dying and not you know, running away from lions and things like that. Um, so they had other things going on, but when all of a sudden Rome accepted Christianity, immediately they sat down to affirm and formalize all of the doctrines and they begin to articulate different words. And at the top of the list, the word Trinity and the concept of the Trinity was one of the very first things that they began to understand. Why was this important is number one, it gave them a chance to formalize what they believed about Christ and what they believed about the scriptures. But secondly, once Christianity stopped being martyred and once it stopped being attacked, immediately people saw, wait, a belief system can be used for personal profit. And then all of a sudden cults and other things started stirring up in Rome and in other places that were kind of offshoots of Christianity because people thought, man, people are flocking to this, this Christianity. They're flocking to the name of Jesus. How can we profit off of that? And so in the midst of this moment where martyrdom died down, all of a sudden cults begin to rise up. I want you to understand that when, when we see Christianity attacked, when we see the name of Christ attacked, I do not wring my hands. I do not worry. I've had people say, what if the government starts telling you what to preach? And I'm like, they can't tell me what to preach. Let me just rest assured that the government can't tell me what to preach. And when if they started doing that, we still preach Jesus. We still stick to Jesus. And what happened with, that, with those councils is they begin to formalize it because as Christians started getting a little wacky, all of a sudden a lot of granola started popping up. You're like, granola, yes. Fruits and nuts started popping up everywhere. They form these creeds so that they can say, this is what it's all about. All this weirdness is going on, but let's bring together our creeds and our doctrine because we have to shore things up. And they began to ask simple questions like, who is Jesus? What must be done to be saved? And Trinity was at the top of the list because there's nothing more important than knowing who your God is. And so we got, that's how we got Trinity. You're welcome for the history lesson. You can wake up now, wake up your neighbor. And so we have one God, three persons that are equally and simultaneously God. That is important to understand today that they are equally and simultaneously God. They are not each a piece of God or a part of God. They're not one, one more important than the other. It's not that the Father is more important than the Son and the Son is more important than the Spirit and the Spirit just kind of tags along like, I guess I'll come with you guys. Nobody ever recognizes me. Um, and last week I told you about the Francis Chan book, Forgotten God, about the Holy Spirit. Tremendous book. I would highly recommend it. Um, but they are equally the Godhead, in the Godhead. Neither is one more inferior, one less God than the other. And that's what has happened over the course of history, how history and efforts to explain the Trinity has actually broken up the Trinity. And they've made mistakes. Like some people overemphasize his distinction and they end up in something called polytheism or tritheism. 
We're going to throw up that, those, those words. Polytheism or tritheism, it's multiple gods. And we can focus so much on the distinction that instead of saying it's one God and three, three and one, we end up saying there's three gods and they're three completely separate gods, which is a, is a false understanding of God. That's how cults begin. But it's also a mistake to go the other way and to, be, and to fight so much for the unity of the Godhead that you lose the distinctiveness that he has actually revealed himself to be. And they'll say there's only one way to explain God, and they'll use illustrations, and that's called modalism or modelism. And there are numbers of ways that modelism has kind of surfaced. For example, modelism might say that God has three masks. There's one God, and he has three masks. In the Old Testament, he put on the father mask. When the son came, he put on the son mask. And when the son left, God put on the Holy Spirit mask in the book of Acts. And he can only be one or the other at one time. And so the idea is that it completely contradicts that he is equally God, simultaneous God, simultaneously God at all times. And it gives us the idea that he is parsed out. And that really contradicts scripture because if God can only put on one mask at a time. Who did Jesus talk to in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he says, not my will, but your will be done. What about uh, when Jesus prays the high priestly prayer in the book of Luke, and he begins to say, God, Father, I want them to be one as you and I are one. Or what about the water baptism of Jesus? When the Father spoke and the Spirit descends like a dove, I mean, was he using ventriloquism? Uh, was he um, playing a tape while he's standing there so that you know, he could be in multiple places in, in one time? No, that's modelism. If they were not distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, honestly, we would not have anything recorded in Scripture of Jesus talking to the Father or Jesus talking of the Spirit. We wouldn't have had the baptism of Jesus recorded. We would not see the different examples. And so any little illustration that we come up with always falls short. It does. Have you heard some illustrations in kids' church? Like the Trinity is an egg. It is the white, it is the yolk, and it is the shell. That's the Trinity. But this is the problem. They're all three completely different. And they're pieces of the egg. They're not all one. And then I've had people say, and I used to do this in kids' church, it's like water. Water could be solid, it could be liquid, and it could be gas, but it can't be the same thing at all times. You only really see one form at a time. Like if it's frozen, it can't be liquid at the same time. It has similar properties. I've heard all different illustrations, but that's what modelism is. It's trying to break it up so that it, you kind of understand that there's pieces of God or parts of God or uh, St. Patrick. You, you need to read on St. Patrick sometime. What an amazing church planner. And he used to walk around with a clover and talk about that each leaf of the clover was a was God, but even that falls apart because that's like, that's a piece of God, piece of God, piece of God. And we tend to fall short with our illustrations. Uh, if you're ever gonna give an illustration, I would challenge you to say this. God is kind of like. You just don't say he's like. Because you always fall short and you actually go into this mistake of describing God in such a way, it's just incredibly hard to describe, and that's why it takes a dynamic, not static, a dynamic leap of faith to understand God. I love what uh, the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46, verse five. To whom and to what shall you liken me? To whom and to what would you liken me? 
He is one God existing in three distinct persons, all three equally and simultaneously God. So when we talk about God, there is an actual hierarchy that's there. But I don't know what pops in your brain uh, when I say the word hierarchy. Some of you think of maybe a king or you think of government, that we've got a hierarchy of government, uh, people that lord one over the other. But that word hierarchy is less about authority one over another, but it's more about a structure of authority. And in the Trinity, there is a structure of authority. But this is the beauty of the structure that we've got within the Trinity, is there is harmony without sacrificing equality. I want you to wrap your head around that. There is a structure of function in the Trinity, but not once is there a sacrifice of their equality for the sake of the structure. None are inferior in worth. None is more God or less God. But when we look at scripture, we clearly see that there is a structure of the Trinity. John chapter six, verse 38. Jesus says, I come to do the will of the one, the father who sent me. John eight twenty nine. I always do what pleases my father. I wish every father would say amen, which we want our kids to all say. John 15, 26, when the spirit comes, I will send him to you from the father. Look at that. When the helper, which is the Holy Spirit comes, I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father and he will bear witness about me. We've got the Trinity all right there. The father has a higher functional position in authority, of authority, so to speak. The son ranks below the father in functional authority, and the spirit seems to function under them both. So it's like the father sends the son, but he also sends the spirit, and the spirit is sent by the son to give a testament of the son for what the father has said. They actually work and function together. And the, get this, the spirit conveys one thing. He's not there to bring attention to himself. He's there to bring attention to Jesus. Do you want to know how somebody is full of the Spirit of God in their life and walks full of the Spirit? They bring attention to Jesus. That is a great litmus test. There's another scientific term, man. I'm on a roll today. There's a great litmus test. If you want to know if somebody is walking full of the Spirit, they are going to be a person that draws attention to Jesus. Because the goal of the Holy Spirit was not to say, hey, look, I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm the one you're not talking about or singing about or thinking about. No, 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 no. He has come to remind us of the words of Jesus. He's come to remind us of who Jesus is. He's come to convict our hearts that we might have the Spirit of, of or the life of Jesus lived out in our lives. He comes in our lives to, to produce that what's called the fruit of the Spirit, which the fruit of the Spirit is nothing more than the character of Jesus Christ. Everything that the Spirit does brings attention to Jesus. And what I love about the functions of the Trinity is the functions can happen without any fracture in the Trinity itself. They can function without fracture. They can act as one. What are they truly? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 is one of the first verses I ever memorized as a child. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is. Most commentators and theologians will say, this verse is proof alone that the Trinity is real. And when I first read that, I'm like, what, what would they mean? Because they said, for love to work, there has to be an object to love, and there must be that which loves the object. There is communion, and there is community taking place. And so 
God is love, which when God existed before creation, he existed in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They existed in community. They were before creation. And because there is a love connection within one another, they're able to be love. The only way we can say God is love is they exist in community. Our God exists in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's an object, and somebody's sending love. And so they live in perfect relationship. And the beauty of the perfect love is neither the Father nor the Son or the Spirit have issues of authority or ability with the others. I wrote this down. There is submission one to another without any tension. There is submission. The Son submits to the Father without any type of tension. There is no jealousy from the Son to the Father. Oh, the Father is always telling me what to do. Disciples, come follow me. Dad gave me another order that we just got to do. If I had my way of doing it a little bit different. He never, the son never had any tension of submission. Why? He delighted in doing the will of the father. He delighted in doing the will of the father. He didn't mind the submission and there was no tension because he delighted his heart to follow the father. And when the spirit of God was poured out, Not once did the Spirit say, when is my time going to shine? I know what Jesus said. I'm here to tell you what he said and remind you what he said and to make sure that his character is poured out in your life. Okay, when is it going to be my time? No, 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 no. The Spirit of God delights to remind you about Jesus. He delights to point your lives toward Jesus. He delights to show you the love of Jesus. He delights to give you life. He delights bringing that attention to Jesus. And so when you've got the structure of the Trinity, they delight in one another. There is no competition. There is nothing spoiling their joy. Their joy is not what they receive. Their joy is blessing one another in this beautiful love relationship and is that something that you and I should understand and how we should instead of competing with one another and tearing down one another what if we took joy in one another and we actually understood that love relationship we see in the Godhead and we saw it amongst one another instead of attacking instead of uh, competing we are looking to love we're looking to cheer each other on we're looking to point people toward Jesus we're stop trying to beat our own bandwagon but constantly lifting up his name and his banner what if we actually model first John chapter 4 verse eight and people saw the trinity at work amongst us so they can understand the trinity is real around us what if what if what if what if god is love and there could be submission without losing equality and the only way to really truly understand this the trinity is kind of like marriage the trinity one plus one plus one equals one Want to know what marriage is? One plus one equals one. Scripture says in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hallelujah, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word one in the Hebrew language is echad, which means they are a composite unity. My wife and I have been married coming up in 22 years. We have functional roles in our relationship and in our marriage. We have functional roles. We have functional parts that we play. And yet our marriage is one. We submit as scripture says. Some of you are like, oh, this is where we get to hear how wives submit to the husbands. Preach it, Pastor Dave. All right. 
look in the context of the chapter, it actually says, submit one to another. I heard no husband say amen by Gary over here, dude. You, brownie points, brother. We submit one to another. And the beauty of the oneness is we can actually submit to each other in our functional places and not once do we lose equality. God did not take a bone from Adam's head and create Eve that she would rule over him. Nor did he take a bone from his foot to create Eve so he would trample upon her. It came from his side that the two would become one. I believe the reason why God created man and woman together and put them together to have them became, become the image of oneness in marriage is because the Godhead is so vast, so deep, so amazing that to create one person to say that is gonna be the image of God was too concise. They needed to have man and woman together to see there's this vastness that's here. There's just so much more that could be contained in one person. He had man and woman and the two become one. And in that composite unity, as we act as one, we not once have to sacrifice our equality. She is not lesser than me. She's not better than me, even though I think she's better than me. She's not better than me, but I'm not better than her and I'm a lot lesser than her. I don't have to play myself down to let her shine and neither does she have to do that to me. We can walk in oneness. And that, my friends, is like the Trinity. They can submit without losing equality, power, and so the question is, what is the product of their roles and how they act and how they respond? I want to show you three areas where we see the Trinity at work. We brought up one last week, creation. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The Holy Spirit's hovering above the waters and God spoke, let there be light. Colossians, John, Hebrews, all spell out Jesus was actively involved in creation. We see in creation, the Father is speaking, the Son is creating, and the Spirit is hovering. And we get the masterpiece of creation because the Trinity did not argue about their roles. They came and fulfilled the roles in a beautiful harmony of equality and composite unity that gave us the world that we are in. Salvation is a product of the Trinity. Titus chapter three, verses four through six. When the goodness and the kindness, excuse me, the goodness and the loving kindness of God came. John three sixteen. when God the Father loved, he sent his son. In other words, God the Father loved and Jesus was obedient to go. And then we've got the Holy Spirit playing a role in our salvation. It says in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. John 14, he's the one who indwells in us and gives us life. And Romans 8, 11, he gives life to our mortal bodies because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. What is the same spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit of God is working within us. Ephesians 1, the Father chose, the Son redeemed, and the Spirit of God sealed. The Trinity is at work in our salvation. He not just created the world, but he came and he saves us. He seals us. He rescues us. And he empowers us to thirdly live our lives. Jude chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. I want to read this in a New Living Translation. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. All three Trinity, as we operate and walk in the Christian life, it says that we can operate, we can pray in the Spirit's power, live on the mercies of Jesus Christ, and be safe in God's love as we live our lives. I love that God not just created, he not just redeemed, but he is with us every step of the way. 
Every step of our walk is part of the Trinity. The roles of the Trinity are so fun to read. In fact, the Father, the Father's functional role is to be the Father, the Heavenly Father, unconditionally loving us, forgiving, compassionate. He is the head of all things, creator, provider, sovereign ruler. The Son, his function is the demonstration of God's salvation. The incarnation was the intentional action to practically demonstrate who the Father, who God is. And the Spirit is the life giver. He equips us to live an empowered life to live out our mission. God's indwelling presence in our lives. And I understand that a lot of this is so hard to just navigate through easily. But that's why when it comes to the Trinity, it's not about being static, it's dynamic. Some of this is just a massive leap of faith and trust that he is a good father when you didn't have a good father. It's trusting that the son will redeem even though you look at your life that it may not feel redeemable. It's trusting that the spirit of God is with you and he will equip you even though with your feelings and with your humanness you can't feel or detect God's presence anywhere. But I wanna encourage you today that just because you don't detect the presence of God does not deny the fact that he is with you at all times. This is the function of the Trinity. And God is dynamic in the way that he works. He is dynamic in the way that he touches our lives. And some of you are like, well, I have to figure it all out before I take that, that dynamic leap, leap of faith. I, I laugh because we don't do that in marriage. How many of you had your wives figured out when you married her? Put your hand down. <laughs> Liar head. How many of you had marriage figured out before you got married? How many wish you would have had your husband's better figured out before you got married? I didn't realize he had back hair like that. I didn't realize he snored like that. I... We never had it all figured out, but we took a leap of faith because of the journey of what would develop in the oneness where we submit without losing our equality, where we can be one together and operate as one together. And that's the beauty of the Trinity, is we get to step into, their loving, into the loving relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in order to become, not God-like, but to walk in the image of God. And so let me just break down just some simple takeaways from today. This is my first two points last week, and I want this to be my first main point every week during this series because I think this is the most important thing to understand. I had a friend of mine say, what do you want people to get out of this series? He goes, I don't even know what you're, how you're going to preach this, but what do, you want, what do you want people to get? I want them to understand the Trinity more, but most importantly, I want them to get this, that they will see themselves as the Imago Dei. You are made in the image of God, and we are to treat others as the Imago Dei. You guys may not know this, but we had a little bit of a political scuffle this past week. Shock it, just shocking. And after the State of the Union, honestly what broke my heart is how the church in general responded via social media and I just shook my head and I'm like, this is not the Imago Day that the world needs to be seeing. I do believe that we should be involved in politics. I believe we should have conversations about politics. I do not like bringing politics to the, to the pulpit because I don't think this is the place for the kingdom. And we're going to keep it that way. But I sat back and I, I watched people just attacking one another, slandering people. And we have to remember that we have to see ourselves as the Imago Dei and we have to see others as the Imago Dei 
Well, pastor, some people don't act like it. You know what? You don't always either. I don't always either. But we have to keep an understanding that there's a charge to be the Imago Dei and to see others. I don't know what side of the aisle you stand on. I don't know where you throw your flag in terms of Republican or Democrat, but I'm here to tell you that regardless, political affiliations, they come and go, but the kingdom is what lasts forever. The kingdom will always outlast the empires of this world. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord from every tribe and every nation. And let us be a people that champion the Imago Dei. And before we expect other people to act that way, let us start in a Psalms 139 approach that says, Lord, search my heart first. Search my heart, God. See yourself as Imago Dei. I wrote this down. You're not what people say you are. You're not your worst thought. You're not your bad habits. You are made in the image of God. You are not what other people have said. You're not what people have labeled. You've passed me for 12 years. I've had enough conversations with children who are called mistakes. I was the oops child, and that was just all they grew up with. My parents have told me I was a mistake. I had this kid in my youth group whose parents didn't want him, so he lived with, a, with an aunt and her, and her boyfriend because they're the only ones that would give him shelter. I remember him crying in my office. He's like, why don't parents even want me? Why, why do people even, even befriend me? Why am I even needed? Why am I even loved? And... They get people, they get him to understand that, listen, you may be rejected on this world, but there's one place that you have never once been rejected, and it was in the love, the, the presence, and the power of Jesus Christ. You are made in the image of God. Secondly, second challenge is to practice spiritual disciplines that incorporate the Trinity. I'm going to challenge you to put your radar up when you're reading your scriptures and begin to circle Anytime you see the Trinity, when you're worshiping and we're using vernacular that recognizes the Trinity, I encourage you to recognize that and, and, and begin to think and ponder. I challenge you to pray. When you're spending time in prayer, pray, pray to the Father. Pray to the Son. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Are we allowed to do that? Do we have to start and go in order? No. Holy Spirit, we sing the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. It's okay to pray and to recognize. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, to meditate on the three persons of the Godhead is to walk through the garden eastward in Eden and to tread on holy ground. Our sincerest effort is to grasp the incomprehensible mystery of the Trinity. It must remain forever futile and only by the deepest reverence can it be saved from actual presumption. When we get into our spiritual disciplines, it should humble us. It should make us almost act like Moses and take off our shoes and just bow our knees on holy ground and to take him in. Number three, I'm asking you to, to discover your functional role with the Trinity. What's your functional role in the body of Christ? Well, I come and I take up a chair. Awesome. I'm glad that you've taken up a chair. But what's your functional role? What can you do to serve somebody else? What's the functional role that you can play in your workplace, in your school? What is the functional role that, that you can rise up? Just as much as the Trinity has functional roles, if we're made in the image of God, we have functional roles. 
And what is God calling you to do? Which leads me to lastly, number four, delight in how God is using you. Stop comparing how God is using you with how God is using somebody else. Delight in how God is using you. If God is using you to hold a baby and speak blessings in a nursery, I think that's just as important as standing in the pulpit and yakking for 35 minutes. I think serving as a, a student leader or a mentor in youth ministry is just as kingdom impactful as, as being in another country and drawing water out of a well to help a community have fresh water. It's all kingdom impact. And we use comparison in the kingdom to spoil our joy. When you compare yourself with others, you diminish what the Lord has given you and where he's placed you. There's no one place in this community that's more important than the other. It is his kingdom come, his will done, up, to be done and our will is to do the will of the one that has placed us here that's not something I came up that was the words of Jesus Christ I came to do the will of the one who sent me and we're here to do that which God has sent us to do no matter how big no matter how small you may think it is you may feel like all I've got is five loaves and two fishes can I tell you what Jesus did with a snack pack that a kid brought one day you can read about it in scripture he blessed thousands of people and we're still talking about it. And you may feel that all you have in life is a snack pack to offer. Delight in giving God what you've got because God can use it to transform thousands. He can use it to transform your neighbor, your friends, your coworkers. One God, three distinct people, you uniquely in equality simultaneously God let's pray I gotta stop Jesus all of our lives you've been faithful and today we just want to speak of your goodness our Lord and our Savior with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around and I recognize that in these teaching sessions that we've been doing that it's just a lot of information to think about it's not the most shoutable messages. It doesn't demand a ton of amens, but I'm trying to paint you a picture of the reality of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the thing that I think is one of the most important things to understand is the Trinity is here right now. And he wants to play a role in your life. He wants to play a role in your heart. And what he asks is for your participation in that role. He doesn't force himself. He offers himself. And it's up to you and I, through faith, just to simply make that dynamic step. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust in you. Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you into my life. I'm going to trust the Father's plan. It, faith is dynamic. It's not static. It is a leap at times. And maybe you're here today and you're not in a relationship with God whatsoever, but you want to be in a relationship with God. Maybe you thought it wasn't possible. Maybe you thought that you weren't a candidate. But maybe today you just felt something in the inside change and you thought to, my, you thought to yourself, you know what, I need that. That redemption where God, the, God, sent, God the Father sent the Son and the Son redeemed and the Spirit seals that redemption, 
I want that. And maybe today you're realizing, maybe for the first time, that 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 includes you. Maybe you feel like you've wandered from God. And today you just want to make a decision, a brand new decision to follow him. If today you need to start a brand new relationship with Jesus, would you do me a favor and just slip up your hand right now? Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Dave, that's me. Would you pray for me today? I just want to give my life to Christ. I just want to look around. Thank you over here to my left. Another one here to my left. That's awesome. Anybody else? I love giving these opportunities. Just a few more seconds. Three, two, one. If you lift up your hand, would you do this? Would you pray right now? And all I want you to say is this. God, I invite you in. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and for resurrecting and giving life. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping me realize I needed you and empower me to live my life for you. Lord, I just pray over these two in believing that you're gonna do an absolutely amazing work in their spirits and in their hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, I just feel drawn to pray for those that are watching live stream, God, that maybe are just going through some struggles right now. Lord, I just pray that you would just give a fresh revelation of your Trinitarian presence in their lives and let them know they have not been missed, they have not been forgotten, that you are with them to the end. I speak your blessings, your grace, one and all in Jesus' name. Amen.